0: Welcome to The Courage Effect. I'm Suzanne Weller, and this is a show about growth and unleashing what's possible. You will hear inspiring stories about what courage looks like, how we navigate what's getting in our way, and the opportunities that surface when we choose courage over comfort. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. It's Suzanne. Welcome to The Courage Effect. So for those of you who know me uh, a lot or a little bit, you probably know that I'm a bit of a book nerd. I love to read. Um, I'm in at least one book club. I probably have a minimum of three or four books going at any point. Um, I do have a master's in English literature, which I guess helps me to write good email. But it's, you know, reading and writing, I do some writing as well, is something that is really near and dear to my heart. And I am thrilled to have my guest here today, who is Melissa Kirsch. Melissa is the deputy editor of Culture and Lifestyle at the New York Times and the writer of the Times newsletter, The Morning, which comes out every Saturday. And if you do not have this coming into your inbox every Saturday, highly recommend it. I get so much joy out of it. It's um, She writes from everything, spanning from Halloween to Birkenstock, recently going public from the National Book Awards long list to the Golden Bachelor. So, so many things just happening, new ideas, and it's a really great resource for what to read and what to watch. And she always brings a really great lens to it. Melissa and I met back when I lived in New York. She's also the author of The Girl's Guide, which I was one of the women that she interviewed for that project. And I'm thrilled to have her here. Melissa, welcome to The Courage Effect.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here.
0: It's great to have you here. So, we're starting this conversation with, you know, this morning, I heard the news that Jezebel is shutting down after 16 years. And for those of you not familiar with it, it's a digital media site, which was really, you know, a feminist, early feminist blog, which really spun out of Gawker. And it really does feel like the end of an era in a lot of ways with digital media and an end of an era, but then also, um, opportunity at the same time. So because there's so much cool stuff also happening in digital media, but that being said, it's still a challenged business. And I, as somebody that pays personally for content out of my own pocket, because I know that quality content takes money. I'm curious for you what it is like to be a writer right now, because it's not just about courage. It's also a beautiful career, but I'm sure that it's also a challenging career. So talk to us a little bit about that.
1: I mean I feel really lucky to be a writer and to work in media right now at a moment which as you said um media is certainly challenged by many things not just the economics and um you know I see the you know end of Jezebel as the end of kind of like the kind of like scrappy blog era like I don't want to make like a major pronouncement about something but you know when Jezebel came into my consciousness. It was like something wholly new. It was, you know, a sister site to Gawker. It was, um, you know, it was really smart. It was really funny. It was real women who were incredibly, um, you know, sharp and really good writers. And they were, you know, speaking to me in a voice that wasn't sort of like the voice of God that you got from a newspaper. And, um, and it was exciting. It was like the, the birth of really like voicey writing on the internet. And I think any, I mean, anybody any I I don't want to be too grand but I feel like anybody who's writing in a digital space now or you know like an influencer who writes funny Instagram captions or you know like we all sort of owe a debt to Jezebel in a way um, because Jezebel and blogs like it were the first place where it's sort of like demonstrated that like um, speaking in your own voice with all of its quirks and all of its idiosyncrasies was like not only something that, you know, people would be interested in, but it was like a viable career. And, um, and so the fact that, you know, Jezebel is being shut down because I guess they couldn't, that owners couldn't find a buyer for it is really sad to me. I mean, it also just, if you look at the internet now, it's a very different place. Um, You know, Jezebel was launched, you know, pre-social media or certainly social media wasn't what it is now. So, um, so as far as being a writer, um now I feel grateful for it. I but you know, for me it was never um guaranteed that I was going to have a job as a writer. I'm not trained um as a journalist. Um, I have a master's in, I didn't know you had a master's in English literature. I have a master's in English literature with a concentration in poetry writing, um, which is even less useful than wow, <laughs> a I didn't know that general master's in literature um and I keep waiting for I for, my graduate program to ask me to come and speak to a class because I feel that I actually am one of the very few people who uses my poetry master's degree on a daily basis, which um, I don't know how many people really say that, you know, I didn't know, I didn't look at it as a pre-professional degree. When I went to graduate school, I looked at it as like an opportunity to live in New York and write for two years while I was kind of like figuring out what my next move was and sort of figured my next move would have to be like, well, write a book of poetry and get a job in academia. Like that was my dream to be like the poetry teachers that I had had. And um, that was right at the dawn of the internet. I finished graduate school in 1998. And, um, and you know, instead of uh, having to, you know, like go out, like most of my friends who have been English majors and get a job, like as an editorial assistant as an, at a magazine paying less than $20,000 a year, yep. um, I was able to get a job at a website for young women. The first website for teen girls they build themselves as and, you know, make slightly more money because there was more money on the internet because nobody understood it. So if you understood it or w- were willing to take a chance to work on the internet, you could you know have a very inflated job title and make a little bit more money. So um I didn't I didn't think that I was ever going to really use my degree in poetry. And I have ended up doing that.
0: That's amazing that you have <laughs> a degree in poetry. So yeah. and and it it cool. tells me a lot because I that is one of the things that I think I why I enjoy your writing so much is because there is there's just a different love and flow to it. And it's so great. I mean, I love it. Like, you know, like Roxane Gay is another one of my favorite writers and I love how she writes about co- pop culture. I see similar things with you, you know, just like that. Cause I love pop culture. I mean, I've also like, I'm a book nerd and I'm a pop culture junkie. I have been since I was a kid. And I think that there's something about like, it didn't always get its due. And I feel like you're giving it its due. So thank you
1: thank you that's really nice to nice to hear you say i mean i'm a book nerd and a pop culture nerd and to have an opportunity to you know write about my enthusiasms is really exciting and the fact that those resonate with other people i mean i think as a writer that's you know all i've ever wished for you know and it doesn't matter what the medium is um it you know the fact that people are interested in what i have to say and that i can kind of you know, that I can provide a service and hopefully, you know, give them good information, but also, um, you know, present a worldview that resonates with them. Um, that means a lot. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's a hard industry.
0: I mean, and it's one of those things, like you said, I mean, you got a degree and it was a matter of, okay, what's, what's out there, you know, what are the jobs that I can do and how can I, how can I pay the rent? I mean, that's obviously Mm -hmm. a a real concern. I'm Mm -hmm. curious for you as it's evolved, um, how, how has courage thread into that for you? Have you ever had doubts or, you know, have you ever questioned your career?
1: Yeah. I mean, there was sort of like a, a a point for me and I think this, you know, that, there was a moment when I was around 27 and I had been working in digital media and specifically like women's digital media. Um, I was working at Oxygen, which was, you know, still exists in a very different form today. But when Oxygen was, um, was launched, there was a, a lot of fanfare. It was in 2000 and it was going to be, you know, this very high tech alternative to women's to like you know prevailing women's media to women's magazines like Cosmopolitan to women's television like Lifetime um and it was going to be smarter and it was going to be better and it was going to be what women really wanted and so there was sort of this lofty ideal or at least that's how i thought of it when i went to work there and you know not long after 2000 i'll get the dates wrong but like there was you know the dot com bubble burst yeah. um and you know the economics of digital media all came into question and, you know, oxygen changed a lot and sort of started reconsidering what they, who they thought their audience was. And you can sort of make the connection from like the, the charter principle to sort of what it is now. Um, And I was gone long before that, but I was working there and, you know, my friends were getting laid off and, you know, it felt like a very kind of like shaky industry. And um, I had been writing an advice column, like a kind of like jokey advice column that was sort of like i wrote in the character of like a kind of obnoxious girl named princess and she was like doling advice from a bubble bath and uh and she was sort of like more concerned with like her story than she was necessarily with giving very good advice and um you know what i realized doing that was that like what the internet is actually good for is connecting with other people and uh you know, that there was actually like a very real hunger for good advice. Um, and I certainly wasn't necessarily meeting it with my column. But the number of people that wrote in with like actual pleading questions where they wanted help was startling to me. So this was kind of like at the moment when Sex in the City um, was all the rage. And there was there, a proliferation of books for young women that were like, you go girl sort of feminism. Yeah. And I uh, felt like there wasn't and this seems quaint now that there wasn't a place to find good information about like the things that really mattered to me as someone in my late twenties. So I ended up quitting oxygen and leaving to write a book for young women, the book that I wished I had. And that was a very scary moment and took a lot of courage.
0: Yeah. A lot of courage. And it was, I remember being really impressed with you, you going out and doing it. I mean, I remember going to your launch party. I remember that being such a, such a, I was so impressed because I was like, wow, this is somebody that is a peer of mine that is doing this. So that is one of the things, especially when you're a woman in New York, <laughs> you're just out there, you know, doing, doing what you do and when you see other women doing it and other people in general, but really supporting each other. Um, and it's interesting. I, I didn't remember that you worked at Oxygen. So it's interesting. It, it's so interesting when you track, not just being a writer, but being feminist writer of sorts, right? Like writing about women's issues, um, and girls issues that significantly has evolved over the past 20 years.
1: Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're talking about, you know, this was, uh, I, what you, we, that we're talking about Jezebel now, you know, which was sort of contemporaneous with me writing the girl's guide or probably started right after that. Um, it does feel like, you know, I, I haven't sort of made my peace with what's happened to the idea of women's media. Um, but you know, there, there was a lot that was bad about it, but there was a lot that was really good too.
0: Yeah. But I do remember that whole launch of oxygen. I remember, and there's, there's all these, there's a place for so many different things, but it's just a matter of where's the money. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the thing that makes me sad is when I read that, you know, like they had over two dozen potential buyers and they weren't able to get somebody. And, and that's like, where's, where's the audience? (laughs) So, I mean,
1: I I mean, you think the audience is here, but I think the audience is so diffuse now that people are getting what they need or like, you know, those voices, you can get a million and one voices on TikTok. You know, I don't, I'm not getting, you know, my uh, whip smart voicey journalism from TikTok, but I think a lot of people are, um, or they're getting it from Instagram and they're getting it from YouTube and they're getting it from, you know, the zillion sort of like sites that came in the aftermath or the wake of Jezebel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you're right. I mean, you have to, so who's going to fund it, right? I mean, and it's like when you look at people like, you know, Jeff Bezos buying the Washington Post and all these other things, it's funding has to come from somewhere because the old models aren't necessarily working anymore. So Mm -hmm. that's a whole other story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we need to cut to a break. So let's come back in a couple minutes and continue this conversation. This is Suzanne. You're listening to The Courage Effect. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, it's Suzanne from The Courage Effect. As the seasons changed, I poked into my closet and discovered how stale my wardrobe had become. Everything felt boring and I wanted something different and fresh. I grabbed my laptop and remembered armoire. Why not clothing rental? I could experiment with new styles from jeans to something fancy without spending a ton of money and buying clothes I would only wear a handful of times. Armoire makes clothing rental easy. Build the perfect seasonal wardrobe with brands that are unique, sustainably sourced, and owned by women. All you have to do is take the style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, and they will ship them straight to your door. Armoire allows me to indulge in high-quality designer clothing with no guilt. They promote sustainability with fewer items ending up in the donation bag and landfill, and no dry cleaning fees. Trust me, your cramped closet and the environment will thank you. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, you must try armoire. And right now, my listeners can give armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style, that's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash the courage effect to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today.
1: Easy on the ears, good for the soul. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: Welcome back to The Courage Effect. This is Suzanne, and I am having a conversation with writer Melissa Kirsch. So, Melissa, what really dawns on me is, and and I experience this a little bit myself, is writing is a very vulnerable act when you're putting something out into the universe, Talk to me a little bit about that. What is, what is that like, especially when you work for one of the largest publications on the planet?
1: Um, You know, I, it gets easier every week, you know, I have a weekly deadline and that kind of um, rigor is very helpful because I think that if I were, if I didn't have a deadline and if I didn't, um, you know, have an editor waiting for my work, um, it would be, it would be very easy to think of reasons why not to write Um, and to let kind of doubts and fears creep in. And, you know, I have been a freelancer, I have, um, you know, worked on, you know, my own writing on my own, or, you know, on projects that don't have a lot of urgency. And I think the urgency kind of forces you to get comfortable quickly with vulnerability. Um, like once you sort of sign on or en- en- enlist, you know, in a in a job where you're going to have to write every week, um, you quickly sort of learn which of your um you know which of your negative voices you um are going to need to silence and you know put to bed and to never wake up um in order to get your work done um but i guess uh you know i i i write sort of like a a very untimesian style newsletter um you know it's not kind of you know it doesn't have like a traditional journalistic format i'm not you know I'm not breaking a lot of news in the newsletter. (laughs) Um, I'm writing from, you know, sometimes from the first person and frequently, um, you know, about things that matter a lot to me. And I can, you know, I can, I can enthuse about things and I can be excited about things and I can admit vulnerabilities or admit to things that I don't like or things that I'm afraid of, which, um, you know, feels like a privilege and also like, Always feels very risky to me. Um, I when I was in graduate school, I had um the poet Sharon Olds as a professor. And she writes, if you know her work, she's a very popular poet, but she writes um extremely personal poems, frequently with a first-person narrator, um, you know, stories about her life, her children, her family. And I um and in person, she's I found her she's quite private. And um, but so many people love her work and connect with her work. Um, and I think that she sort of had to kind of create um, boundaries between, you know, her herself as a writer and herself as a human being and what she reveals. And I remember saying to her once, talking about personal writing and saying like, you know, well, your writing is so personal. And she stopped me and she said, apparently personal. And that is something that I have kept with me um, because people will say that to me and they'll be like, well, you write about so many personal things. And I, I do say apparently personal. And what I mean by that is that there are, certain things that, um, I mean, all of it's true, but I am, you know, it's not my diary. It's not, um, and I'm conscious of the, uh, the, the responsibility that I have as a journalist to kind of, um, you know, not treat the reader as my friend. Um, and even though sometimes it feels like we're friends and certainly as a reader of Sharon Olds and other people, I felt like I know those people. And I realized now that like they were keeping part of themselves safe in order to, or private at least so that they would continue to have kind of the courage to put themselves on the page and be able to craft and create the stories that they wanted to tell um, yeah. about themselves without sort of like keep keeping that, you know, they're their sort of their essence safe.
0: How often are you having that conversation with yourself about what you're keeping safe?
1: I mean, it's really like a natural. It's a sort of like a gut thing. It's not like a, a like a struggle or something that I have to like mediate or negotiate ever. When I'm writing for the morning, and you know, the morning during the week, it's a newsletter written mostly by um, the journalist David Leonhart and it's very news focused. So when I write on the weekend, it's a real like not a, it was probably a 180 from sort of the tone of the week. And so I'm in a certain like register, which is like, this is the morning, this is the type of thing that I can do here. And I sort of feel my way into it. And um, I'm, you know, and as with any form of journalism, I'm always you know you're asking yourself like what does the reader need to know here what is important that I say and in order to you know make myself clear and get my point across and what's too much or what feels extraneous so I guess it's always sort of like a it's it's a real like gut thing with me and certainly I have editors who would let me know if they felt like you know something didn't sort of ring true or felt off tonally or something um so I don't struggle with it but it's the sort of thing where like so people I'll, I'll talk about something in my life and people will say like oh you should write about that I'm like well yeah but not for the times you know like I would never do that Um, it's the kind of thing where um, you know it's 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 not mine you know like I am I'm writing for the New York Times I'm not writing like my book of essays or something or my blog I think that's a
0: really important point because I hadn't thought about the fact of that you do write in the first person so frequently, but when you're, when you're doing that on behalf of, of a publication, there's a certain obligation and responsibility too. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Just as far as that lens that you have to come through, mm-hmm. I'm imagining too, that you get to be pretty close. So you have great relationships with your editors.
1: <laughs> yes. I have really good relationships with my editors and they're all wonderful. And, um, you know, they, they work with me you know I because I come from like you know I'm, I'm sort of drawing on my poetry background for this particular um project um I'm very attuned to sort of like meter of a line and musicality and lyricism and you know all writers are and in a news story you know the writers that you love and connect with you know they have their own kind of like feel for a line um but You know they put up with me saying like no it you know like you can't take that word out we need another word that has like i need this rhythm here you know and like um and i i wouldn't call them indulgent because i think it makes the work better but they're you know certainly like it's an exciting process to work with people that way and have them like allow me to um be really creative when within the space i'm allotted
0: yeah I've I've read two books really about the process of writing that have stuck with me. One was Bird by Bird, um, Anne Lamott. I think most of the people who have done some experimentation in writing has probably read it, which is such a beautiful book. Um, and also Stephen King's book about writing, which was really fascinating to me. And what you just said there, like the whole... The, the what he writes about like just the language selection and otherwise and and being a poet I mean coming from that poetry background I would imagine that that's something that you're you're always crafting that
1: mm-hmm yeah and I don't think of it so much as poetry anymore you know it's not like you know think it's not broken into stanzas or you know in any kind of meter or anything you know or following like formal poetic rules but I think that yeah I love Stephen Stephen King's book on writing. And um, it's, you know, because he's a writer of popular fiction, I think maybe I was surprised that, you know, he had, you know, such an ear or such a uh, um, paid such attention to like the musicality of a line. I can't remember specifically how he writes about um, about language, but, you know, I found it really resonated with me from having a background in poetry.
0: Yeah, me too. And it's so interesting because I almost felt that I was judging him because I was so <laughs> surprised by it.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 And then you feel guilty. You're like, I underestimated you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like you are Stephen King after all. Yeah. yeah
1: <laughs> it's true. You know what you're doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Undoubtedly. Is there anything that you haven't written about that you really
1: want to write about? You know, y- sure. You know, like we, I, I want to just like keep writing about the world that I live in, you know? Um, and that's sort of like, you know, I, I work with an editor who was describing what I write about. And he said, I think you're, you know, the, the, what you're writing about is how to live a meaningful life. And so that's what I always want to write about. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I felt really like seen by that. Cause I hadn't sort of known how to describe what I was writing about. I was like, I, you know, I write about culture. I write about, culture and lifestyle, you know, and whatever comes up, like you said, at the beginning, you know, that I write about a lot of different topics and sort of what's in the news or something that's moved me that week. But that like core question, how do we live a meaningful life is one that I am sort of fixated on that is a touchstone for me. And so I don't think that I would run out of things to write about um, or things that I want to write about because I don't think that there's ever like a, you know, there's not going to be a. Singular, succinct answer to that question.
0: Yeah, and it's going to evolve too, depending on where you are and what, yes. what what's, what's happening in the world. What you need.
1: Yeah. Yes. And it's different, you know. And you know, they're it's different for everybody, right? Like the specifics of that, but trying to find the kind of like universality in it, I think of as a sort of like the main thrust of the project, which is like, how do I live a meaningful life? But how do we all live a meaningful life? And what can we agree on? You know, like i'm sort of a proxy for you so i'm hoping that if i introduce something that works for me you're going to say that works for you too um and or you're going to have a viable alternative for me i love to hear from readers and you know hear how you know something i wrote about is resonating in their lives
0: yeah you had mentioned that you have been working with a creative
1: coach Mm -hmm. i've been uh Working with a creative coach, I didn't know such a person existed, that there was somebody out there who could help me like realize my creative aspirations. And I think that I didn't realize that, Um, well, I, I guess I wasn't necessarily open to admitting that I had creative goals that I was not meeting and, I, and there were opportunities that I was missing out on and that I was the reason why these things weren't working out and admitting that to myself and admitting that like... I could use some help was, um, you know, kind of a pivotal moment for me. I had a, a friend who was working with this particular coach, who's also a writer, and she's a dramatic writer, and uh, and it just sort of came to me, you know, like, oh, you know, my friend has uh, somebody who's actually helping her with her creative pro- projects, which are, you know, like creative writing projects, and I'm as a journalist, I didn't think like you know, that there would be any use for me. Like I said, I'm like, you know, dread- deadline driven and I, you know, this is my job, but um, I do have things that I want to accomplish creatively and um, and I witnessed myself getting in my own way. And the coach has been in- immensely helpful in um, in helping me like realize where I'm doing that and figure out how to work around it.
0: That's great. And it's it sounds like it really is about thought partnership. It really is about like just un- unlocking you in certain areas that maybe you just weren't letting yourself go.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think also, like, you know, a coach has, uh, you know, unique skills and can, like, create infrastructure for, uh, for pretty much everything, right? Like, you all have, like, tools for helping people get from point A to point B, or to figure out what point B is. And, uh, you know, we mere mortals like who don't know what point B is think that like the way that you get there is just by like thinking really hard and worrying about it right so um so the fact that there like could be a process to figuring out what point B is and that somebody could then help work with me and my habits and and um my tendencies to uh like create a path from A to B um has been um really exciting yeah
0: yeah Well, and to be clear, also as a coach, I don't always know what point B is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know how to help somebody figure out what point B is.
0: Yes. But I've been, I've been on that journey before myself, right. Where it's like, there's so many, there's so many points where, yeah. Where do I go? Well, we're about to run out of time. So let me share a couple of things that I heard you say with the listeners. You talked about writing, forcing you to quickly get comfortable with vulnerability. That to me is sort of the main thread of everything that you talked about. The ideas of how do you open up? What do you decide to open up to being apparently personal um, is, is a really beautiful way of thinking about it and being very intentional about that. And ultimately your work being ways to support people and being able to live a meaningful life. So Melissa, thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for being here today. It's such a joy. Let us know. I'll, I'll put your information on the website, but if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch?
1: Um, They can get in touch via my website, which is melissakirsch.com. Great. All right. Melissa, thank you for being
0: here. Everybody. Thank you for listening. Stay courageous.